This episode was recorded before any of this COVID-19 coronavirus shit popped up. And it was also recorded with a poorer quality microphone. Um, so just keep those two things in mind. Uh, we'll return again uh, in a week or so with some fresh episodes. But for the moment, here's what I was thinking before all of this shit started. Over my dead body. Over my dead body. Over my dead body. special episode of Over My Dead Body, Fatherhood As It Happens. When I was 26, I moved to New York for a job. My employer asked me to resign and become a contractor, which is illegal, and move to the US without a job permit. To get ahead in today's journalism market, you've got to take a few risks along the way. So I went, and it was the best decision that I ever made. That being said, When I landed, I didn't really know anybody. I had a salary that didn't cover my initial expenses, and I was living in a remote part of East Harlem alone and working from home. So I was really fucking lonely, going broke, feeling really vulnerable. I was working as a business journalist, and I'd put on CNBC during the day, mostly for the company. But at some point in that first month, I started looking for something else to fill the hundreds and hundreds of hours that I'd be spending alone. And that's when I came across Louis C.K. Not his stand-up. I was already aware that he was a great in the making. His first two specials, Shameless and Chewed Up, had already had many people comparing him to George Carlin, one of the holy trinity of stand-up comedy. He just had an act that I identified with. I don't know how I ever got laid, really, because I was awful at it. I still am. I never understood. Like, there's guys that just have this confidence and they can, like, go out with a girl, no one to lean in and kiss her and shit. I just, I couldn't, I would just go, could I ever fuck you? Like, I just blurted it out. I know that takes on a different tone now, but it's still fucking funny. No, I came across his appearances on Opie and Anthony, a now disbanded radio program based out of New York. Now, Louis had 50-odd appearances, all of them two or three hours a pop, and it was just perfect. It was the perfect way to kill the time alone. Now, these shows chronicle his evolution from unhappily married young father of a four-year-old and a baby, still a road comic performing in clubs, to a happily divorced father of a nine- and five-year-old who was the groundbreaking comic and movie maker we knew before his fall from grace. If you want to understand Louis C.K., you'll get so much more out of these radio sessions than his show, his stand-up, or his talk show spots combined. Now, while listening to all those hours and hours of recordings, I noticed something. There was an enormous gulf between his comedy where he made fun of his kids relentlessly and struggled with his fatherhood and what he said about them to a long-form radio audience. Here's a clip from his stand-up album Word, live at Carnegie Hall, talking about that feeling we all know as fathers, kids waking you up early. When they wake up, they're like... (laughs) 
and they want to tell me they're alive. Daddy, look, it's all still here. I'm like, I know I'm trying to run out the clock and die. Please let me sleep. And at six in the morning, I am sleeping, man. I am sleeping a beautiful sleep. I am sleeping a deep, dark African sleep. I am fathoms deep in a river of warm chocolate. Just, uh, uh. And sleep is like an ancient whore with 20 tongues just blowing me like perfectly. And she's speaking a dead language. Oh, fuck yes, please. Uh, and she's feeding syrupy heroin into my dick while she's sucking. Oh, fuck, that's so good. I don't care if I never come. This is so good. Daddy! No, fucking no, 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 no. Daddy! No! Now, here's the story behind that bit on Opie and Anthony. Speaking in a dead language. You know, this whole thing I do about how badly, how much I don't want to wake up, and then I wake up and I'm miserable. When I conceived that bit, the second part to it was the truth, which is as badly, as much as I hate getting upright at 6 a.m., once I'm feeding my kids breakfast and we're chatting, I'm so happy to get up. Yeah. Because when I'm on the road or when my kids aren't with me, I, I always sleep till like noon or one o'clock and I wake up, I feel like a piece of shit and most of the day is gone. But I get yeah, up at six yeah. o'clock and even though the transition is difficult, standing there and feeding them, I feed them a full breakfast every morning. I make them bacon and Jesus, eggs and stuff and I, and I stand there watching them eat it and we chat and it's such a great, it's such a, a real life to me. That's real. Where but, but I, when I do, so when I started it on stage, I'd tell the part about sleeping and about not wanting to wake up, and then I'd get to that part, and the laughter would just completely stop. Oh, shit, I had yeah. no way to make it's that funny. funny. So I stopped oh, doing it. Oh, you're a good dad. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I just dropped that part off. What's most startling, I think, about Louis C.K.'s Fall from Grace is how off-brand it was. His first stand-up special was called Shameless. He rose with the respect of his entire industry because of his courage on stage. He said on a number of occasions that he'd talk about anything to develop material. Not true. He did have shame. He must have known deep down that what he did to these women, these colleagues, was wrong. How wrong? Well, wrong enough not to talk about it on stage, but not so wrong to come clean about it in advance like Letterman did. That's someone who is running from something. So Louis C.K. is a pariah that will never reclaim that position in comedy that he secured for himself. You can already see the next generation is crowding him out. And with Netflix fragmenting the comedy marketplace, we might never see a comedy star burn as bright as Louis C.K. did ever again. But that's not what I came to talk to you about today. What I learned listening to those countless hours of radio appearances is that he's a very, he's a very good dad. He's a really thoughtful dad. 
and he's a dad that's shaped my thinking about fatherhood more than just about anyone else except my own dad. Follow the kid's example. A, a baby's a perfect person in a way. They like they're they're like an animal. They're like that. You can learn what human beings really like from babies, right? Because you're seeing a human instinct without any of the without any bullshit shit that's yeah. been pumped in from yeah other so you get people. It's like babies' diets are perfect. They because the, the, they just eat what they need. So all of a sudden, your baby will only eat carrots for like a month. Well, well, it's beta carotene. Uh, deficiency. Just needs that. Yeah, your baby's not like, oh, I can't stop fucking eating carrots. <laughs> your baby just wants that thing for a while. Uh, and they'll God. stay away from the grains you give them or whatever. This idea has been hugely influential on me. Babies are not weird. Adults are weird. When my child wakes up at 3 a.m., it's because she's hungry. She's going through a growth spurt. When I wake up at 3 a.m., it's because I had a bad day at work. Three months ago that I'm still stewing over. For dads, it's the thing that you don't know automatically is that you should be with the kid. Right. Uh, yeah. So I always, I kind of had this instinct, be with the kid is a lot, and then it's not a sacrifice. Like the shit you have to, the fucking shit you have to do, the amount of errands you have to run, and uh, shit you have to go, like the logistics of yeah. keeping food and supplies in the house. The thing I started doing is just always bring the kid with you. Mm -hmm. Always, I'll take him, and then the your, the mom is like, "Fuck, great," <laughs> because your kid is great company. They're great. They're really fun to be with. Mm -hmm. If you go out, I, I used to love going out shopping for fifty things. As long as I had my daughter with me, she's just somebody to talk to. Right, and you see the world through their eyes. <clears throat> yeah, you get to all sorts show of your shit. kid every. Like I used to go to the supermarket, right. which I used to hate doing, yeah. but I'm like, oh, I take a watermelon off the <laughs> shelf and put it in her lap. <laughs> Look at this; it's a fucking watermelon. <laughs> you never seen one of those before, have you? Both of my girls and I have really good relate, and the little one and I we fight sometimes and it's contentious, but never feels like a bad no. fun. Yeah. I it's yeah. also when your kid is being an asshole, it's it feels good to know you're there to correct it and to say, nah, you're not. Like when I lock horns with my daughter, she wants something and I'm not going to give it to her and she's crying. I feel great. Really? Yeah. I feel great that I'm there That's showing so her. Yeah, you don't get that. You don't get to have it. <laughs> and why? And There's not a good reason. You just don't. You just don't because I just don't. That's another idea that's had a big impact on me. It definitely reminds me of instances where particularly my mom was telling me off, telling me I couldn't have something and I'd be throwing a tantrum at her and she would just be unmoved by me. And now that I'm at this age where I have a kid, I'm like, that's a really good example to set for a kid. You know, Louis said in one of his specials afterwards, you're not raising a child, you're raising the adult that they're going to be. And when you realize that, it becomes easier to say no to them. Within that idea, there's also, in difficult moments of parenthood, you can get such great, joy's not the word, but you can get a positive PS to it. That's the only way I can put it. But there was this time where like, I was driving Hazel to see her grandparents, and we were going across the city, and she started crying about maybe 10 minutes into a 45-minute drive. And she didn't need to be fed, she didn't need to be changed, so you just got to push through it. By the time I got to my parents' house, she was, she had her fists, sort of, like her arms were just really tense in front of her, like her fists were clenched tight. 
she was so upset and I got her inside and you know when your kid's crying that hard it's you, you you're very alive in those moments and I was just she had her head nestled on kind of rested on my head as I was just sort of rocking her back and forth trying to calm her down and I could just so vividly hear her screeching go to intense crying, then medium crying, then soft crying, and then kind of whimpering. And by that stage, like this, my anxiety levels were coming down with hers. And there's just this wonderful intimacy that emerges when you console your child from just inconsolable screaming to just just their regular breathing and then they go to sleep it's fucking cool and I was more attuned to that because of listening to Louis CK talking about being a dad and he's a dad that empowered men to not just be involved in their kids lives but for single dads to be great dads and involved in their kids' lives. That's an unusual idea. Before Louis C.K., who was the model single father? I don't think there was one. And that's fucking important. Role model single parents are crucial because without them, divorce remains this insurmountable obstacle to good parenting. you got to stay together for the kids. Now, I grew up with... The children of couples that stayed together for the kids, they all paid a price at some stage. I'm sorry, but from the evidence that I've seen, staying together for the kids can be incredibly counterproductive. I remember there was this one kid, Will, that I met in primary school. His parents split up early and amicably. And I had this extraordinary Christmas with them where his dad came around with his new partner. He was living with his mum and sat at the table with his stepdad and his mum. And it wasn't weird. It was supportive. The child's well-being had been at the centre of this very smart decision-making. Without stories like this, there's just so much pressure on relationships. Rachel and I had a kid because we have fun together, and bringing a kid into it, we thought would also be fun. And my God, it is. It is so much fun. I have a better relationship than Louis C.K.'s marriage. That's what I have learned. But if it wasn't fun for a prolonged period of time and our relationship just died the way that some do, men need role models of single dads to empower them to say, it's not working, we've got to split up and split up well for the kids' sake. How are we going to make this work? Women, I feel, have single parent role models. The single mother is an idealized concept because it's had so many decades to develop because men have traditionally skipped out on that shit. But men haven't had role model single dads to look up to, and Louis is one of them. I have a big uh, affinity for Rich Voss. Who doesn't? Important person. Why? You know what? When I was getting divorced, he was really nice to me. He sits next to me on the couch and he goes, uh, hey, you know, um, I when I got divorced, I had two kids, uh, two little girls. And uh, 
first he said that his biggest goal was to maintain a good relationship with his ex. Like that it was really important to him to take what do whatever it took to stay amicable with her. And he said, Now Bonnie and I have a baby and she babysits tonight so I can have a date night. That's that that's how that paid off. And that his two girls are now grown and that they share them and that they're they have yeah. that they feel good between their two parents. Mm. So that's what that he said. This is like it's hard, but if you do it, here is what can happen. Like there's a fucking future. Rich, then, who told you this? Yeah, this was like this was <laughs> this amazing. Is, this I'm is there. like, <laughs> and then I said, and then I'm asking questions. I'm like, you know, I've been I had been divorced for a while, and I said I dated for a bit, and I didn't want to anymore. Like I didn't want to keep going out and trying to get laid. I didn't like that part of it. Like I just didn't. I was like a lot, oh. a lot going on. Oh, oh. And I said, but that feels like I'm worried that I'm like reclusing myself by. And he said, fuck getting laid. You got a career and you got two kids for right now. That can be enough. Like he gave me uh, uh, it said it's OK not to get laid sometimes as a man. You feel like you got to get pussy wherever it's oh. available. But sometimes it's okay to take a breath and mm. actually just be a father and a professional, whatever you are. And it left me off yeah. the hook. This shit meant a lot to me. Wow. Okay. Well, here's what some people say, and it's true. If you if you have a kid and you're divorced and you say bad shit about the other kids, yeah. the kid's other parent, yeah. you are criticizing 50% of the kid. Yes. The kid, oh. a, a kid, especially a kid who's a child, they are made up of two people and they identify with a man and a woman, their mother and father. So if you say your father's a piece of shit or your mother's a whore, mm. the person's going to feel that in themselves. They're going to think they're going to take that in. I tell you, it's been hard watching Louis C.K. go down. I know his victims are the main subject. I just adopted this guy into my identity in a way that I've never experienced before. When I was eight years old, I heard Robin Williams doing his Good Morning Vietnam monologue on a tape in my parents' car. After, I think, maybe five goes, I'd committed the whole thing to memory. I've always just had a knack for retaining information through sound, especially when it's fucking funny, even if I didn't understand it at the time. I have all of those hours of Louis' appearances and stand-up specials catalogued in my brain catalogued in those hours and hours that I spent alone in that apartment in New York, just needing someone to talk to. You know, for years, I've said, oh, Louis got a bit on that in conversation with friends and recited it word for word. They always used to laugh. It's taken a long time for me to reach for those quotes in my head and decide to leave them there. When your hero dies, it's like the path ahead of you becomes blurry. But when your hero falls from grace, it's as if the path behind you has been erased as well. How do I find my way back? What turns did I take because of them that were positive? And what turns weren't? Still figuring that out. But I will continue to live by his parenting examples. No, I no longer look up to Louis C.K., the comedian, but I still look up to Louis, the father. So that's the latest episode. Hope you enjoyed it. Bye-bye.